You're listening to Heart of the Hunter. Heart of the Hunter is a serialized swords and sorcery tale brought to you as part of the Coronai Chronicles series on the Bears Grove Bardic Circle podcast. Heart of the Hunter is written, performed, and produced by Sam Chupp. Sam Chupp is a storyteller, game designer, podcaster, and author living in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information about Heart of the Hunter, check out bardcircle.bearsgrove.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. They used poison, the Tongrush spat. I have tasted the wounds of our fallen leader just this day. Poison can roll what the soft ones call nails pain. In the forest, in the darkness, in the nail camp, all of the party was shocked as they heard this. They chattered among themselves, automatically falling into their individual tribal tongues. Silence! The Gunta, whose name was Chersk, yelled out, and there was suddenly quiet. There can be only one interpretation of this event. Our so-called brothers in the Dark City have turned against us. Only they would send an assassin with Kenral poison against us. That's where you're wrong, honored war leader, Chersk, came a voice from the shadows. The rat man, Sneeve, stepped into the firelight. The honorable old masters would never do such a thing. But I have an idea who might. The mob hissed and growled and spat, but Chersk held up his hand. Let the one from the masters speak. You may have heard of the serpent tongues, the jade lords of the Quadong. We have warred with their kind in the past. They have been trying to expand their interest in this area. It is likely they have heard of the mayor's peaceful enterprise and wish to somehow interfere and prevent us from establishing the truth of Gaikul. There was muttering and guttural expressions of disbelief. Chersk held up his hand. It matters not who supplied the poison. The truth is that one of the people was killed in cowardly combat by dishonorable means. Let us hunt the one who did the killing. We will then go to Mother Ulid and add the killer's name to the chant of death as a warning to others who would do such a thing. Let us do this thing! Let us go now! the mob cried. No. We sleep now. We will walk with the sun in the morning and hunt them and kill them in the night. This is how it will be done, Chersk said, and they all nodded to each other. A night's sleep and a full belly would be better than a run through the darkness this night, they agreed. So it must be, Sneeve said, grinning. I have a few things here that may help the people. Magical things from the city. I hope the honorable war leader will accept them before I step through shadow back to my home. Chersk stood on its legs over the small rat man, looking down at him with a greedy grin, its two pairs of hands clenching the air like a beggar. Magical things? Show Chersk! Sneeve grinned and inwardly breathed a sigh of relief. But of course, he said, offering the leader an unlocked oak box, only too glad to help.
Zarin had been sent ahead to scout and blaze a trail. He'd taken to riding Jongleur, a chestnut-brown Jasquonian gelding with good spirits and a sure foot. He guided the horse around a muddy patch, making a trail brand on an old river oak for the teamsters to see, and soon found the road again after a slight detour. He soon became aware, however, of something tugging at the edges of his perception, something ephemeral but compelling. It was hard to pick out in the slight blur of motion as his horse carried him sure-footedly up the river road. He tugged gently on the reins and whispered, Quiet now, Mr. Jongleur. I wish to hear and to see. He quickly slowed his horse to a mere walk, the horse soon standing still as if he understood the command. That tug was becoming more acute, but like a whisper in a crowd, seemed somehow lost in the noise of all that he sensed around him. He decided to focus himself by breathing in deep. He just relaxed and let his awareness blossom and eased his racing thoughts. It was then he saw the mark. A curious swirl of a mark on a tree, one that others might have passed by with no notice, called to his attention, and he moved Jongleur unconsciously towards it. Touching it, he realized it was indeed a Wunjo mark, a trail sign of his people. The Black Bear tribe it was and the mark had been made in the last hour or so. The sap from the wound was still fresh. A smile began on Arryn's face at that moment. It did not take long to pick up the trail on the road. When the breeze from the north carried both gypsy song and the scent of Wunjo's stew cooking, he knew that he had found those who had made the sign. Smiling broadly, he kneed Jongleur forward over the rise of the hill, moving slowly, his hands in full view to forestall the sentries attacking without question. It was mere moments before he was challenged, and he called back in his mother tongue, his heart nearly bursting with happiness. Here, alone among the wide roads of the world, here was his home. The river hawk gave its cry as it rode the warm morning breeze down to a perch set outside just for his use. His wings ached from the long flight, but his duty had been made clear to him. The hawk settled on the perch, tucking his wings in perfectly, respectfully waiting to be recognized. Even in the deepest part of the forest, few creatures dared to enter the natural clearing the green ward had set aside for himself. Though relatively young in the service to the circle, he had been invested in his position for long enough that nature itself held him in high regard. The green ward was bent over a clay pot, eating morning cereal still warm from the small fire he kept in a carefully constructed pit when the hawk made its landing. He turned to look into the eyes of the creature, and felt a now-familiar mystic connection flare between them. "'I bring news from the Watcher to the South, Green Ward,' the raptor sent. 
This one listens to you, Brother Hawk, the Green Ward sent back. The hawk's eyes were clear and penetrating. The two legs from the city come, on four legs riding and pulled, and follow the river path. The warder nodded. Has the swamp witch noticed them yet? Uncertain. The eaters of the dead have, however. The green ward nodded, understanding that the bird meant the nail tongues, who often ate carrion and their own dead. And their number grows daily as their hunting parties plunder further south from the wastes, the green ward said. Winds are changing, the hawk sent. The green ward sighed and looked out into the forest. Yes, and mayhaps now they turn the way we wish them. May it be so, Green Ward Kennel. The bird did not actually convey his name in any language, but Kennel had come to associate that bundle of sense impressions with his name. There are some first ones camped nearby. Be certain you are not seen by them, for their wise ones may know you for a messenger, and it is never certain where their loyalties will lie, Kennel sent by way of warning. I hear, Green Ward. Are there words for the Watcher in the South? The hawk sent, prompting him, and pruned another feather from his left wing. He would rather be on his way, Kennel knew. Nay, instead, go here. Kennel sent a mental image of the place, with its white trees, a stony hill, located at a curve in the Lunasa River, which was many miles away west and south of his camp, away from the North River and the River Road. Find the Brotherhood there. This may become the best time to deal with Ulin and the corpse-eaters together. Carry the Brotherhood's counsel back to my ears. I will keep watch for the travelers, and perhaps see if the First Ones will lend their aid. While you fly, I know this place, where the Brotherhood camps, by the Sunset River, I hear... I serve, Green Ward, the hawk sent back, and immediately leapt into the air, its broad wings beating, it rose, circling, and soon vanished from view. Keep you well, brother, swift winds and dry wings, the Green Ward sent back, before the bird was too far to hear. He finished his meal in silent introspection. From the spot by the fire where he had been dozing, his wolf looked up at him. The wolf's eyes were expectant that he would get to taste the sweet honey of his cereal leavings, as was their camp custom. You're welcome to it, Kennel said, placing the still warm bowl on the ground near him and wiping his hands clean with a camp cloth. The young black wolf padded over and began licking right away, his tail wagging in submission to his leader, the green ward. Combing his hands through his unbound, straight black hair, he deftly tied it into a tight, practical warrior's braid, exposing his classic Lunargenti jawline. Rising to his feet, he sent a silent summons to his mount where it grazed in the woods, and strode to his sod hut to gather things for the journey to come. About mid-morning, the caravan ran into the mud. 
the river road had become little more than a track. When Dav drove the lead wagon into the mud and came to a halt in the sucking, sticky stuff, Gar tried to get around him to the left and suddenly found his wagon sinking several inches into the false ground. Both wagons were as stuck as flies in amber. Peter cursed to himself. He had sent Arryn ahead to scout. Why hadn't the gypsy warned them of the mud? Raven sat Millie, picking her way slowly around the dry edge of the mud pit, which had been mostly concealed by low growing ground cover. Nasty, she said, wrinkling her nose. There's nothing to it, sir, but to unhitch the horses and set up the block and tackle and get them out one by one, Dobbs said, standing nearly up to his waist in the mud next to the wagon. I don't like that it leaves us fairly well stranded, but I don't see any way around it. And we really should lighten the load here. That means disturbing his lordship, Peter said. Gar, can you get him out? The master factor was conducted to the edge of the mud pit, leaning on the Sidalian teamsters, but Peter managed to ignore his mutterings as he did so. I hope you realize, Sergeant, that this delay is placing us behind on our timetable even more. At this rate, we may not make it to Irontown with the current rations we have. I can see that, Factor. But I have other things to handle right now. So why don't you sit up on the bank and fiddle with your figures while we get the work done? This seemed to suit the Factor fine. So, Raven stood on guard duty while Alabar, Peter, Dov, and Gar began the long process of unhitching the team, walking them carefully out of the mud so that they didn't get hurt. Jurgen sat on a hillock out of the way of the work, scribing with a quill pen on his lap desk. Just as they had secured their freed horses and located two likely trees to attach their block and tackle to, Arryn returned. With him were six men that looked to be his relatives. So close were they in face and form and coloring, all riding up on spirited, wild-eyed horses. Hello there, Arryn. You're just in time for the hard work. We're more admired, and we must at some point have a bit of a chat about your ability as a trailblazer. And who are these men you've got with you? Peter asked. His eyes went to his sword belt held in the crook of a tree, then to Raven, who held a Dracon pistol charged and ready, barrel pointed down. This be the Black Bear tribe, Sergeant. The last tribe I traveled with before I started allowing the Gahe to corrupt me. This man's my cousin, Garen. He's the huntsman of the tribe. They're camped not far, just off the road there. I thought surely you'd drive to avoid the marsh cream there. There's a sidetrack you should have taken. Didn't you see my blaze? Mayhaps they didn't know Wunjo blazes, Arryn Singer, the man named Garen said. Well, that may have been it. My sorrow, Sergeant. Still, here we have six young men with strong backs to help pull them out. And after, well, we'll join dinner with the people, if you like. I reckon that'll be okay, Peter began. Nothing of the sort, Sergeant. These... Gypsies are... Jurgen began. Peter cut him off. Factor, if you have a problem with these men helping us, then I suggest you get off your assets and come down the hill to help. Otherwise, keep your peace, Peter said. Okay, we need all the help we can get. Let's get moving, Arryn.
Chandra woke up late in the day when the light of the spring sun streamed through the arrow slit on the outpost wall opposite the bed. She felt like hell, her mouth filled with dry cotton. She had cried herself to sleep and slunk to her bed. The fire in her stove had burned out, but the chill of the morning had already left the air. What time was it? It seemed afternoon at least. She had slept far longer than she thought she should. Suddenly, panic hit her. The little owl statue watcher telltale on the mantelpiece, the one that announced when visitors got near the outpost, suddenly flared to life for a moment, but then immediately died. Right after that, a numbing, deadening feeling spread over her, and she shuddered as she felt a part of her forced quiescence for the first time since she turned of age. True, it seemed somewhat of a blessing, as it was the thing she called the demon that was in her. The demon had been useful, letting her burn the nail raiders before they amassed enough to try and break the door down. But she had promised her father she would hide it and not use its infernal power. A mixture of guilt and panic drove her hand to the bedside, where her dracon pistol was loaded and waiting. She futzed the charge, but felt nothing in return. The pistol was dead, the charge stone broken somehow. She tossed it aside. Peering out the nearest arrow slit, she could see nothing of her visitors. Maybe it was a caravan. The travelers who'd been there last night. Maybe they had returned. Maybe it was her father. Couldn't it just be her father? Then the front door began to shake, from repeated pounding. Something, or someone, was trying to take it down. Though it was a heavy oak door, she didn't think it would hold very long. Dust fell from the joints of the door as each assault shook it in its frame. She grabbed her father's war mace from over the fireplace, struggling to lift it over her head even though she was pumped with battle fear. The door fell inward, slammed down. She reached inside herself for the demon, crying out for it, wishing it would come back now, when she needed it most. She would be damned, but she would be safe. But the demon didn't answer. In the ruined doorway, a man with a bald head and tattoos on his face stood grinning. Hello, missy. I'm Jack. Nice to meet ya. You and I are gonna make some coin together, we are. What do you say, eh? Get out, she said from between her teeth, holding up the mace, which wavered dangerously over her head. I thought you'd see things my way. Get her, Frick. But gently, gently, we mustn't break her for the Changaman. Aye, boss. Won't harm her, but no Frick will hurt her, yes. <laughs> the small man, called Frick, moved forward. She swung the mace mightily down at him, and he neatly sidestepped it. She couldn't bring it up again, and she screamed as he grabbed her arm and pulled it around behind her, forcing her into a hold and making her drop the mace's handle. Frick was strong and sadistic, a deadly combination. Chandra stifled a shriek of pain as he hurt her. No matter how hard she tried, she could not wake the demon inside of her. Ah, oh, now, Frick, isn't that sweet? I told you I'd take your dancing now, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, boss, you did, didn't you? <laughs> and, and the ashwood dust worked real fine, it did. 
Aye, did Frick, it surely did. No dracorn shots for her, eh? <laughs> Poor girl. Magic pistols ain't all that cracked up to me, are they? Missy. <laughs> Come now, we have a date with Mr. Changaman. Frick, search the place. We gotta find that doodad he wants. Frick's hand closed around the small circle of metal and fine ceramic he took from the bedside drawer. Found it, boss. This here dang here. Pretty bobble. I don't don't know what you're talking about. I don't know you. I don't know any Jagger man. Ta. Oh, do shut her up, Frick. With pleasure, sir. With pleasure. There was a crack, and then darkness ate Chandra alive. You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story on the Bears Grove Bardic Circle podcast. The Bears Grove Bardic Circle is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces the Bears Grove, Dragon Ken, the podcast for kids and gaming, the Square One podcast, and Vibrant Living. Find out more about Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use, license 2.5. Music today was provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. The songs were Green Druid by Dignity, Crossroads, and Fangorn the Forest by Lidner. Links to these songs and their creators will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Bears Grove Party Circle, and hope you come back to our fire very soon.